0: kind of through this scope uh hunters sometimes will do this even people who ride dirt bikes out in the woods or what have you sometimes they'll lose their way and they will trespass onto someone else's property perhaps they didn't mean to but they still have no right to be there they were not given permission to be there. The only way to rectify this situation is to get back into the parameters that you have permission to be in. The Bible said in Leviticus chapter 5 verse 17, if a soul sin and commit any of these things which are forbidden to be done by the commandments of the Lord, though he wist it not or though he knew it not, yet he is guilty and he shall bear his iniquity. And he shall bring a ram and and what have you. I'm going to skip verse 18. Verse 19, it is a trespass offering that was just described in verse 18. He has certainly trespassed against the Lord. And this is straying outside of the parameter of God's law, even when you don't know you're doing it. To God, it is a sin. The third uh, part of this and the definition of sin that we can understand is iniquity iniquity, and it's when you willingly and deliberately separate yourself from God. You make a choice to do it. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says, But your iniquities have separated you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you, and He will not hear. Notice these verses, and, and all of you are familiar with it. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus said, all of you are familiar with this, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many shall say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have we cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works. Jesus said, Then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. It's when people present themselves and pose as a person doing God's work, but in another part of their life, they are deliberately sinning and, and, and separating themselves from God. So iniquity is when, when you sin deliberately. You know it's wrong, but you're going to do it anyway. I'll give you an example of this. We, we have our students in here. The Bible says, uh, For children to obey your mother and father. When you disobey them, it's a sin. I want everybody to understand that, especially our students. It's a sin to disobey them. Of course, if they're telling you to do something sinful, uh, what have you, I believe God has uh, exception for that. If your parents tell you to go kill somebody, then you should say no. I'm not going to do that today. But if they tell you something that's normal and customary, It is a sin. Why? Because the Bible said for you to do that. And when you disobey that, you're going against the Bible, not just your parents. It's a sin. And then you have sin. Sin. Let's talk about sin for a moment. The Bible said no matter how good you feel you are and how wonderful you think you are, the Bible said in Romans 3.23, and we all know it, for all have sinned come short of the glory of God. The psalmist said we were born in sin and shaped in iniquity. We're we're shaped to be separated from God. That's how we start out. In Romans chapter 6 verse 23, the Bible said, for the wages of sin is death. You don't get better by sinning. Sinning don't profit your life ultimately. It will ultimately cause you death and damnation, both physically and spiritually. But people say, But I'm not doing anything really sinful. It doesn't matter. The Bible said in 1 John 5, verse 17, that all unrighteousness is sin. Unrighteousness is simply not being right with God. You're sinful until you're right with God according to His plan of being right with Him. And that's where the plan of salvation engages and what have you. And then there's people that say, well, I know I'm, I'm really not that bad of a person, but I know I do a little bit of stuff here and there, but I just don't want to leave my sin just yet. The Bible said in James chapter 4, verse 17, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And then there's people that say, I've had people say this kind of thing to me just recently. I don't believe what the Bible says about sin. I don't believe the Bible is the authority on sin. I don't believe every part of the Bible is correct or it's not laid out in a way where I can agree with it. The Bible said in Romans chapter 14, verse 23, that whosoever is not of faith is sin. So if you don't believe in Scripture, it's a sin. So we're born in sin And I want everybody to understand tonight, we cannot come up to what God wants us to be without divine help. You cannot do it in and of yourself. You cannot go to heaven on your own. This Bible study is really bizarre, isn't it? Especially to come from a church pulpit. I wondered in preparation for this over the past several weeks, um, how many churches even teach such a thing anymore? Because of our culture, it's just not really appropriate and correct. So let me ask you a question to continue on tonight. So then why do we sin? Why why do we sin? Why do people either unknowingly, knowingly, however you want to state it, why do we do it? Why do we fall into the same trap over and over again when it comes to sin? Most of the sins most of us commit are repeated because we have a propensity and we have a weakness in that area. Why is it that we believe the same lies, that sin isn't really sin in certain things, in certain areas, and what have you, even after they've been exposed? Why is it that we make a habit of doing wrong, even when we desire what is right? Well, let me answer those questions this way. Could it be that we never step back and look at the long-lasting consequences of sin? Is it possible that we never step back and look at the long consequences, long-lasting consequences of sin? Could it be that sin tastes so good? I'll be honest with you here tonight. There's there's some sinful things out there. It feels good, man, when you're doing it. I'm going to talk about that later, a little bit more about that later. But could it be that sin tastes so good even if it's only for a moment. But what happens is we forget how rotten it makes us feel a little bit later on. Number three, could it be that Satan has done such a good job of packaging the poison that we drink it knowing what's in it, but we just can't turn down that bright, shiny label that it wears? Could it be that the beginning of the story is so alluring so appealing, so sensual, and so seductive that we are blinded to the horrible, tragic end of it. But bottom line, there's only one reason why we sin. There's only one reason why we sin, and that's because we do not see it the way God does. If we saw it the way he saw it, if you could see the way God saw sin, then you'd be willing to go to Calvary for your own sin. That's what drove him to Calvary. So if you could see it the way he did, you'd be willing to die for your own sin. Because it would be so horrible. I want to go tonight for a few minutes to the book of Proverbs. We all know that the Proverbs is called the book of wisdom. And I want to share with everyone here tonight some wisdom in reference to sin. I'm going to read tonight from Proverbs chapter 5 verse 1. It'll be on the screen. But when we get around to verse 3, we're going to mention something that's called a strange woman. You can substitute those two words with the word sin. And you'll get the same outcome. Proverbs chapter one, or Proverbs chapter 5 verse 1. My son, I'm speaking this to everybody as though I'm making this statement myself. Attend unto my wisdom. Bow thine ear to hear my understanding. You listen to pastor tonight. That thou mayest regard discretion, that you may respect and regard discretion, and that thy lips may keep knowledge, that you, you understand, you stay smart when it comes to what is about to be said. Verse 3, for the lips of a strange woman drop as a an honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But her bitter end, or her her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet goeth down to death, and her steps take hold on hell. Sin is the seductress in Proverbs chapter 5. I want everybody to understand that. It's not talking about a literal woman. It's talking about sin, even though a literal woman in this condition can do what the Scripture says. She promised satisfaction and fulfillment, but outward looks can be very deceiving. The writer says the double-edged sword cuts both the one who wills it and the one that it is pointed at. It goes both ways. Now let's look at Proverbs chapter 23, verse 29. I want to be very clear on this point, very clear. Verse 29, who hath woe, who hath sorrow, who hath contentions? Who hath babbling, who hath wounds without cause, who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine. The wine can also be substituted with the word sin. That they go to seek mixed wine. Look not upon the wine when it is red, when it gives its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last... It bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. I want to make a statement tonight, and I want to make it very strong, very loud, and very clear to everybody here tonight. If it's not applicable to you, don't worry about it. If it is, you need to sit up and listen. Both feet on the floor, as my fifth grade teacher used to say. The Bible said that wine is a mocker. And I want us to understand here tonight that usually the alcoholic beverage of choice in biblical times was wine. I will concede tonight that it was usually stronger in its alcohol content than wine in our society. But nonetheless, it's talking about an alcoholic beverage. And the Bible uses that as, it's, as much as it did the adulterous woman. It uses wine as a type of sin in this passage. It says, don't look at it when it's red, when it gives its color, and it moves itself just right. Because in the end, when it's all done, when it's had its way, much as sin is the same way, it will bite like a serpent and sting like an adder. There is a new trend in Pentecost among saints and preachers, and it baffles me, especially among some of our pastors, some of our UPC pastors. They believe that drinking inside your home is okay, just social drinking once in a while outside the home. I'm telling you folks here tonight with everything in me, it is a gateway to something worse. People never stop with that. And people that say, well, I drink it for medicinal purposes. I've only known one man in my entire life. I can tell you who he is and where he lives. If he's still living, to my knowledge, he is. That was given a doctor's prescription to drink a glass of wine every day and if you have a doctor's prescription to do it we'll talk about that subject but this business is sweeping actually it's going through the united pentecostal church as far as i know almost like wildfire that people just don't find it a big deal to go to a restaurant every friday night and order you whatever you want a bud a bud light a margarita whatever the Bible teaches that alcohol is a mocker, just like sin is. And it appears to be the very image of joy and celebration. It sparkles in the cup. You can call it casual drinking. You can call it moderate drinking. Listen to Pastor very carefully. People that are a part of Grace Church that does this does not represent Grace Church and what it believes and teaches. And I want everybody to understand that. I don't care whatever else you do here. You fail at representing Grace Church because the Bible teaches it is a mocker. Never thought I'd have to be so fervent about alcohol. But much like sin, it is a gateway to much worse. The following is where it can lead and has led many people and families. Grown men lying in their own vomit. Vomit. Dignified women sleeping with crude strangers. Carpet stained with blood from a fist fight over nothing. The sparkling drink has fangs. But that's just the beginning. Look, a few months down the road, a few years down the road, jobs have been lost. Marriages have been torn apart. Children have been abused by their fathers in a drunken rage. Liquor is a thief and murderer. And I want everyone here at Grace Church to understand that. I'm going to tell you another part of it. It's very unfortunate to me, and it's, it's heartbreaking, and it's grieving beyond despair that we have a family here tonight that fits the, the mold of what I'm about to say. Just ask the family who lost a loved one to a vehicle swerving out of control because a driver had to have one more drink before he or she went home. There's nothing more hateful than sin and its fruit. There's nothing more merciless. I firmly believe my personal conviction that drinking any quantity, no matter how moderately, is a sin and an affront to God because you're saying that drinking can do something for you that God can't. And when it is offensive to your family and friends to drink in front of them, the Bible even teaches, even be courteous if you're going to do it. If it offends your brother to eat meat, don't eat meat in front of him. So I'm I'm asking people, if you need to, to go home and clean out your refrigerator tonight and be done with it. Be done with it. Being as kind as I can, I'm not acting tonight and presenting this like I would really like to. I'd like to be stomping the floor and running up down the aisles, screaming it. When you deal and you counsel with families that's been broken apart by alcohol, you'll understand what I'm saying here tonight. And you have the, excuse my vernacular tonight, but you have the idiot husband that just can't see it. Oh, that ain't that ain't my drinking pastor. That ain't the problem. It's because she's and the kids are. No, dude. It's all on you, bud. When you come home acting like somebody else besides your real self because you're drunk or you got a little buzz going on, I don't want to be around you because I don't know who I'm fooling with. You're a different person. I've seen them hauled home in the back seats of cars not having a clue where they are. Let me remind you that sin is a seductress. And the Bible said that in Proverbs 5. And it will use, the devil will use any means and he will hit you at your weakest point to get you. And he don't care. I want our young people, I'm glad you're in here tonight. You're here on the side of pastor you don't usually hear. But I'm teaching Bible tonight and you can play with it if you want, but in the end you're going to lose. You hear me? Proverbs chapter 6 verse 20. My son, keep my father's commandment and forsake not the law of thy mother. This is brilliant wisdom. If you have amazing parents, I'm talking to our young people here tonight, and yeah, they might be a little starchy when it comes to church, and no, they're not going to let you do this, and they're not going to let you do that. It's because they care, and they're looking out for your best interest. Embrace your Father's commandment, and forsake not the law of thy mother. It is heartbreaking, and we're, we're, we're... pentecostals we're losing our teenagers charismatics are losing our teenagers and a lot of the reasons because they think their mom and dad are stiff and stupid and they don't know what they're talking about and they don't understand what's relevant they don't understand what's culture and all of that I've, i've listened to parents i've heard them cry i've cried with them over kids that look at their father's commandment and the law of their mother and say you know what take a hike with all that i ain't doing all that anymore you're making a mistake The Bible said to take the law of God and bind them continually upon thy heart and tie them about thy neck. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. Living according to Bible principle and concept, it will lead you in the right direction. When you sleep, it will keep you. When you awake, it will talk to you, the Bible said. The commandment is a lamp. The law is a light. And reproofs of instruction are the way of life. The Bible never tires or wearies of giving us warnings, showing us how to avoid temptation. Let's continue in Proverbs chapter 6. Lust not after her sin. Don't lust after sin. Don't lust after her beauty in thine heart. Don't lust after her beauty. Don't lust after the beauty of sin. Neither let her or sin take thee with her eyelids. For by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread. And the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. Not for the one that's been used up and spent. He hunts for the innocent. He hunts for the priceless. Sin hunts for the precious. Again, this is a representation, a type of sin. Listen to Pastor, let's continue in Proverbs 6. Verse 27, Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one go upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? We all know it tonight. If you play with fire, sooner or later, you're going to get burned. If you play with sin, you'll be destroyed. Living a sinful life, I promise you, when you go beyond this life to eternity... It is never worth it. it sin is never worth it. The Bible said in James chapter one, verse 14, "But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin and sin when it is finished. Don't matter what face it wears, doesn't matter how it comes. It can come in any shape, form, it doesn't matter. When sin is finished, it brings forth death. That's the end of it. But the Word of God has given us an antidote for it. There are truths that can save lives from destruction. There are principles that can snatch souls from hell's grasp. The truths, all the truths you read in the Bible, all the principles you read in the Bible, it's not just for knowledge. They have to be applied if it's going to work. Did you know you can burn to death in, in, in inside of a fire escape? It's possible. Did you know you can die of a snake bite with the antivenom on a shelf? Right there. You, 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 you can die. You can drown within reach of a life preserver. There's a way of escape, and it's called the Bible, but you have to pursue it. You have to go after it. You have to have a hunger for it. And there are scores of people here tonight that have turned their back on sin to the very best of their ability and living according to the truths of the Word of God. I don't want anybody here tonight to be deceived. Don't think there's that one or two little things in your life that ain't a big deal, that's a sin. They'll keep you out of heaven. I'm, I'm in the book today. So let me give you a couple of reasons tonight as we put down our landing gear. Let me give you some reasons not to sin. Let me give you some reasons not to do it. I agree tonight. I told you I was going to come to this point. Sin can bring real pleasure. It can. I'm not stupid. I'm not being naive here tonight. Don't tell me that there's not people out in the world right now doing only God knows what, and they're having fun. Y'all are looking at me real strange. Y'all don't believe that? Watch the LSU game coming on Monday night. They're they're having a lot of fun. They are. There's a lot of fun in sin. It feels great to sin. That's why sin is so powerful and so addictive. And it can come in every shape and form imaginable. There are godless entertainers in our culture. Oh my goodness, there's godless entertainers by the scores. Who are hysterical to see. They're funny to hear. Drugs and sex can, that can make you feel like you own the world. Plenty of people who enjoy their immoral, immoral lifestyle of partying. But there's no lasting satisfaction. And when you burn out with that one thing that made you feel so good at some point... Now you have to go on to something else. And it's usually more. It's usually either more of it or it gets worse. Don't make you better. does it make you a better person. You know, when you have that first affair and you feel all wonderful, after a while you'll get bored with that person. and you need to go on to someone else all the while deceiving your spouse at home. It gets worse, not better. And I've not... I've done a lot of counseling through the years with affairs. And I've not seen any spouse who's been cheated on say, you know what, I just love them more today than ever because they did that. It doesn't make it better. There's no lasting satisfaction in sin. The Bible said, referring to Moses who lived in Egypt, who back then was the apex of sin, in my opinion. They were the most sinful nation I believe as far as God was concerned that it was in existence. Moses was born and raised there, but he chose to suffer affliction with the people of God rather to enjoy sinning with them, even though it would be for a short time. Sin leaves you feeling empty and unclean and ungratified and hollow and a feeling of guilt and discontentment. Sin causes you to have to lie and deceive. It can cause you to have to cheat and to steal and it just keeps magnifying and com- it gets more and more complicated. One of the greatest ways policemen, when they're interviewing someone they suspect of a crime, the, the, one of the ways they catch them is they keep asking the same question and they rephrase it and they'll change it up and they'll rephrase it and change it up. And after a while, people have a, have a very difficult time telling the same lie exactly the same way over and over again. You just can't do it. Sin is such an issue. Listen, that's why when sinners really meet Jesus, they go hog wild and leave all the sin behind. That's why they do it. Brother Anthony Mangan said something in in camp meeting, preaching a a sermon a number of years ago. I've never forgotten it. He was just pouring his heart out as he always does. And he made the statement he preached one Sunday morning, and he literally, literally had, when he called for the altar service, People started bolting for the door. And he literally had sinner people trying to come down to the altar to get what he just was just preaching. But had to merge and, and, and wade through church people leaving to get to the altar. When sinners really meet Jesus, they gladly abandon their sinful habits in a moment. But you take somebody that's been in church for a few months, a few years, it's all you can do to keep them within the church and to keep them from going out there and doing something stupid. We have a propensity, we're human. But sin never satisfies. Sin never keeps its promise. The second reason I want to give you tonight not to sin. The first being that sin does not satisfy, number two, sin leads to more sin. Sin never stops. The Bible said in Proverbs chapter 5, verse 22, the evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him. The cords of his sin hold him fast. When you sin, you get bound up. You tie yourself up. It's bondage. It is. The Bible calls it that. Instead of the sinner being free and the believer being in bondage, actually it's the other way around. As a lot of our religious element likes to present that today they're dead wrong. Sin will not, never let you in on this little secret. Let me put it this way. Sin says, if you're really struggling with lust, this is what you do. If you just watch that porno flick one more time and you'll get the release you need. That's what sin says. But we all know that people who do that, the only thing that will, it will produce is the desire to watch another one. And to watch one that's longer and one that's more perverse. Sin don't make you better. It takes you down a path that leads downhill. The Bible said, the wise man said in Proverbs 27, verse 20, the eyes of a man are never satisfied. Every time you sin, it becomes harder for you to resist and easier to yield. And there's folks here tonight that it's time, past time. For you to dig your heels in the dirt and whatever's going on in your life, it needs to stop. And you no doubt know who you are. Number three, sin leads to worse sins. It's not bad enough that sin leads to more sin, but sin always drags human character and human will down. It makes you lesser of a person and your will to withstand it gets weaker. Sin never lifts us up. It makes us better. You may disagree tonight, but I don't believe the child abuser and the serial killer were born that way. Sexual immorality provides one of the most vivid illustrations of the uh, slippery slope of sin. After a while, normal sexual activity becomes too soft or boring. The flesh cries out for the next step downward, and then the conscience becomes seared. And even perversion becomes a necessary ingredient to, li- ingredient to life. It's because sin is treacherous. And you may say, but I'm not that bad. The Bible said in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, that there is a way that seems right to a man. But the end, but in the end, it leads to death. That's what sin does. Am I communicating okay? Does everybody understand here tonight? This isn't optionary material here tonight. When you walk out the building, it needs to be applied. Just because you justify yourself doesn't mean God justifies you. Everyone has a stopping point beyond which they will not go. Listen to pastor. This is. This is so applicable to Pentecostals. That I know. Everyone has a stopping point beyond which they will not go. You know, there's. People will drink a beer here and there, a glass of wine here and there, but that don't mean you're going to go out and shoot somebody tomorrow. Everybody has a stopping point. The problem is that sin constantly works to adjust your stopping point. There's people that I know that once thought some of the things that you're doing now were pretty bad back then. But now you congratulate yourself because that's all you do. So how long will it be before you take another downward fall? I encourage you tonight to get a hold of yourself before your conscience goes completely silent. And finally, the fourth area that I want to mention, and we'll pick this up next Wednesday night. But sin and slaves. Nobody wants to be a slave. Nobody wants to have anyone or anything dominating their life, but sin does it. One of the most amazing things about sin, and I think it's brilliant of the devil to plant it this way, is to make most sin addictive. It's something you feel like you have to have. You've got to have it. And, and, and what you understand, what all of us understand tonight about addiction, is you become a slave to that thing you're addicted to. Slaves do the will of someone else. Slaves do the will of something else. Slaves have no future and they have no hope. In Bible times, there were people born into slavery and died in slavery. They had no hope otherwise unless someone comes along and liberates them. So one of the greatest reasons not to play games with sin is because sin has shackles. It will bind you up. When you touch it, it holds you fast like glue and swallows you like quicksand. It's easy to step into it, but it's hard to step out of. So before you get entangled with a specific sin, you were free. Before you got entangled with a specific sin, you were free. Now you're under its power. Whatever it is, it's controlling you. Don't say, well, that's what I want to do. I'll tell you how you can tell if, you, if, if it's controlling you or not is to try to stop it. And then you'll find out if it's controlling you or not. Ask the alcoholic, ask the compulsive gambler, ask those who are addicted to cigarettes or nicotine, tobacco. Ask people who are addicted to drugs, even prescription drugs that are given to them by a doctor. Ask them how hard it is to quit. And you say you're not being dominated by that. Yes, you are. Sin enslaves to the flesh. It creates bodily cravings. It creates harmful mental habits. It creates destructive patterns of living. Sin enslaves you to a demon is what it boils down to. So I encourage people here tonight to walk away before sin overtakes you. Breathe a sigh of relief and and, and breathe a sigh of thanksgiving that you have the opportunity to escape a very deep pit of your life spinning out of control, of you potentially losing your marriage, your kids, even your job. Everybody needs to understand here tonight, young folks, you can look at me as an old goofy man that's out of touch and whatever you want to do. I'm in the book tonight. The devil only has one thing in mind for you, and that is your destruction. He wants to take you down, and he'll do whatever it takes to do it. I find it interesting that here in America that we're one of the biggest... Uh, We're one of the nations in the world that has the biggest jail population of anyone else. Why is that? Because these people were trying to live right and moral, and they were just trying to work hard for their family, and somebody just came, arrested them, and put them in jail. That's not the reason they were there. They broke a law, and now they're incarcerated. When you break God's law, sin will incarcerate you. It will lock you up. Again, I ask you, if you think you're not addicted... If you're not being controlled by sin, walk away from it tonight. Walk away. Never do that again, whatever it is. And see. And you'll see tonight just how strong the power and influence of sin is, even when you don't like it. Even when you realize that you shouldn't be doing it. It's power. It don't listen to you. You don't tell the devil to leave me alone and he says, okay, I'm not going to fool with you anymore. He ignores you. And attacks all the more because he knows he's getting to you. We need to understand that. There's a smorgasbord of people here tonight. I'm so glad you're here tonight. I'm so glad you got here. I will go to bed tonight. My conscience, my conscience is going to be so free tonight because there's people here tonight I hope you would be here. I want to ask you to stand with me tonight. It's reasonably early. My time for teaching is gone, but the hour's still reasonably early. I'd like for you to do some soul-searching tonight. We've not only begun a new year, but we've begun a new decade. And I mentioned to you this past Sunday morning that what I preached this past Sunday morning would be applicable tonight. Again, I will ask you to look at sin the way God did. If you do It'll drive you to a cross, and you'd be willing to die for your own sin. That's how horrible and ugly and grotesque that it is. Yes, he went to the cross to save us. But when you consider what he is saving us from, then you understand even more why he went. And I want us to understand that tonight. So if you would, our students, staff, moms, dads, whoever you are here tonight. I want us to spend a moment in prayer just right where you stand and ask God to help you. I want God to help me tonight. I'm not a perfect man. It seems like I'm continually repenting over something. Just always not that smart. But I want us all to walk out of here tonight with a clean heart and a pure spirit and come back this coming Sunday the same way. Let's talk to the Lord for a few minutes. Jesus, we love you tonight. The Word of God is hard. It don't always make cotton candy. It don't always give us a free ride on the roller coaster. But it's real. Oh, God, this is real. And we see it every day. But God, even as a church, we become heartless. We become hard. We're hardened by our culture. And things that were despicable 20 years ago are generally accepted today. God, we've come a long ways into the arena of sin. We've been drugged there by our culture. But we as Christian people, we as a church, somebody has to stand up and dig their heels in the dirt and say, I'm not going there. I'm not going to believe that. I'm not going to participate. I may be a stick in the mud. I may be a this or a that, but I'm not going to... Willingly, knowingly step into arenas of sin. God, forgive us tonight. God, that you would forgive us tonight of our sin. There's moms and dads here tonight that need to make a turnaround. The life they've lived for the past years have caused their their kids to go astray. We need to make a turnaround here tonight. We need to make our calling and election sure. We need to be committed to the cause of the nails, to the cause of Calvary. We need to see sin as it is. We need to name it as it is. We need to understand it as it is and to walk away from it at every cost, whatever it takes. Our homes would be better if we would. Our lives would be better if we would. Our marriages would be better if we did. Our kids would be better if we did. Our culture would be better if we did. If everybody contributed their part to do their best, Not to sin. To live according to your plan. To live according to your rules. To live according to your standard. I pray God that you would help us tonight. Help us tonight. God search our heart. And cleanse us tonight I pray with the blood of Calvary. Cleanse us tonight of our sin and our iniquity. In Jesus name. In Jesus name. Thank the Lord. I know this has been hard and maybe difficult for folks here tonight. But it's so applicable Is so true, and it has to be said. It has to be said. God bless you tonight. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for sitting here and absorbing the Word of God, and I pray that you make changes, and that this coming Sunday morning we can have a Holy Ghost blow out in Jesus' name. Thank the Lord. God bless you tonight. Fellowship with one another as you're dismissed, and we'll see you Sunday morning in Jesus' name.